Welcome to the Teacher Interview Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Creasel. I work as Director of Innovation and Instructional Support in Fullerton School District. And every week, we sit down and get to know a teacher better. My goal is to learn what drives and guides teachers, especially when venturing into that risky territory of trying something new. Join me. Today on the Teacher Interview Podcast, we spend time with Phil Ling. He works for Innovation and Instructional Support as a teacher on special assignment. Well, Phil, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are going to spend some time with you talking about how you got into teaching. And then, um, like normal, we have asked three people. We asked, asked you to give us three names that we could talk to. And um, we asked them questions like, what's a moment where Phil was being very Phil-like? Uh, what's one word to summarize Phil? Mm. And any bonus <laughs> information they want to give us um, or give me to help me do a good job in the interview. So gotcha. we're going to hear later um, from Joy, your wife, mm -hmm. um, and from Matt Stricker, uh, whom you taught with at Parks, mm -hmm. and Principal of Parks, Laura Makeley. All right, sweet. So, cool. So tell me, um, how did you get into teaching? So I graduated from a small school in Illinois called Wheaton College, and uh, I was first a business major. I have no idea why I chose that major. That sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't actually for me. <laughs> and so I ended up actually working part-time at a daycare center during my freshman year, or part of my freshman year. Freshman year of college? Of college, okay. yeah, with some buddies of mine. Um, we worked there uh, in the after-school after daycare program. And so that's when I kind of realized, oh, you know, I like working with kids, and this might be a good thing. So sophomore year, I switched majors and uh, got into elementary ed. And in, elementary, or in other states, you can actually major in education, whereas in California, you have to um, go through a fifth year of credentialing. So I majored in elementary ed. I minored wow. in psych, uh, and then I graduated from Wheaton in 96. Okay, <laughs> roll back a little bit. So you're a college student, like mm -hmm. the glory days, freedom, you've moved out. Um, mm -hmm. Did you grow up in Illinois? No, I'm from New York. So okay, that's what I thought. So yeah. did you move from New York to Illinois for college? Okay, so I'll back all the way up. So I'm from <laughs> Philly. I was born in Philadelphia. There you go. Born and raised. Uh-huh. West Philadelphia. Literally, <laughs> like the Fresh, print, uh, Fresh Prince. <laughs> Uh, so, lived in Philly until I was I started kindergarten, which I did in New York. So my parents moved out to New York City oh, okay. uh, when I was five, and so pretty much all of my K twelve was all in New York City. Wow, yeah, that's crazy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. And then college, you moved to Illinois. So yeah, after New York, uh, I went to Wheaton, which is in Illinois. Okay. And my mom actually got a job. My dad got a job actually as a pastor out in Chicago. Oh. So we all kind of end up going at the same time. Wow. Yeah, it wasn't planned that way, but it kind of happened. Did you move first? Uh, like you were kind of literally the same time. Okay. So wow. I came out in August of '92, uh, and my parents moved out in, I think, June. Uh, so a couple months before. Wow. Uh, yeah. Wow. So it just happened to be uh, that was the case. So okay. The part I was curious about is mm -hmm. you're in college. Mm -hmm. um, you moved out of your parents' home. Yes. Okay. You moved out of your parents' home. And you started to work at a daycare, and that mm -hmm. caused you to change majors. Mm -hmm. Like, what at the daycare did you like? I mean, because daycare for me, like, I send my kids there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it seems um, 
a little bit stressful. <laughs> um, what did you like about it? There was a kindergarten teacher at the daycare that, um, that I worked with, Lori, and okay. so she uh, was really good with the kids, and so I learned a lot from her. And her influence kind of decided, uh, made me decide to change my major and go into education. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Cool. So yeah, I did that. Uh, graduated in 96, and then uh, I stayed in Illinois one year to sub. Um, and I said, you know, I'm gonna go back home to New York City. And so I got a job in Jamaica, Queens. Okay. Uh, and it was in the inner city area, and it was really just a rough um, area. Uh, a lot of the kids had very difficult lives. Um, I had 31 students, sixth graders, and um, 30 of them were living with their, either their mom or their foster parent. And mm -hmm. so it was very uh, eye-opening for me, uh, a huge learning experience. Uh, I gained a lot of empathy that year for uh, just kind of different situations people live through. Yeah. Uh, so it was a very powerful experience. Wow. So you taught, um, how long did you teach in New York? One year. Okay. Yeah. That was <laughs> a year. More, say uh -huh. more about that. Uh, so. You know, that year, uh, I mean, knowing that these kids had rough lives, it was, it was a difficult experience for me also. Um, I experienced a lot of um, adversity, mm -hmm. um, whether it be from the community or um, even from the students that year. I yeah. mean, kids would cuss at you yeah. and it'd be a regular thing. Yeah. And so I'd leave um, coming home um, pretty angry and I didn't like the way I felt and yeah. the way I was and the person I was becoming. Um, mm. So my parents, <laughs> my mom got a job out here in uh, Brea at the credit union, the uh, credit Evangelical Credit Union, I think it's called, Okay. in Brea in 97. And so after my one year in New York, I decided to follow and come out here to the West Coast and never lived here before. So um, I applied to, and being from the East Coast, I had no idea in terms of Southern California's reach and the range geographically. Yeah. So I was like, oh, Pasadena? Sure, I'll apply there. <laughs> Uh, it's Colton. right next. It's I right never next, heard of Colton. It's right next to Brea. Montana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. So That's all these crazy. random districts I applied to, yeah. um, and the one that calls me my my third day in California was uh, Fullerton. No way. Yeah. And so wow. actually, we were living in La Mirada, which is um, we were off Beach Boulevard and Rosecrans, basically, yeah. uh, not too far from um, Imperial Highway. And so Sunset Lane, which is three miles away, um, was the school that called me. Sue Fawson was uh, the principal at the time. Wow. And so I met with her, um, and then a day later I um, was offered the job in Fullerton. Wow. In 1998, August. So you, you come in with a year of teaching experience? One year. Uh -huh. And then, um, so then kind of just give us an overview of your time in Fullerton. Where you, I mean, because I know you mm. didn't end up at Sunset Lane, but. Right. So uh, I taught sixth grade at Sunset from 1998 until December of 2004. And then um, December of 2004, uh, Larry Beaver, the then principal at Parks Junior High School, uh, calls me and says, hey, do you want to teach language arts um, at Parks? And so I'm like, oh, okay, I've never taught junior high, but I had the credential to cover ELA. Yeah. So I'm like, sure, I'll give it a shot. So I got there in January of 05, and then I was there from 05 up until this past June. So from January 05 to June of 2018. Wow. From 13, 14 yeah. years. Yeah. So you've had some some pretty good, um, I was going to say moments, but that's that's ironic. Moments of stability, like you know, several years at uh, at Sunset Lane, mm -hmm. and then thirteen years or so mm -hmm. at at, um, at Parks, um, and then so you transitioned this summer to join Innovation and Instructional Support. Yes. So how do you feel about that? 
I'm super stoked to be here. Yeah? I'm really excited. I'm, I'm really humbled, actually, more than anything. Um, I think being someone who's in this role of teacher support, mm-hmm. um, coming in, being a sixth grade teacher, having junior high experience, I mean, our district is so vast, and there are so many people with different experiences and different roles yeah. that coming in, I realized, you know what? Um, I've got a lot to learn from our kindergarten friends, yeah. our primary friends, yeah. uh, even fourth and fifth grade. And yeah. today's sixth grade classes are different. So um, more than kind of what I can support, I think I also realize, you know what? I've got a lot to learn from mm-hmm. others. And I think that's an important part for me is that I want to come in with uh, an attitude of humility and one uh, that my role is to work alongside teachers, mm-hmm. not so much to kind of um, work you know, over them or in that kind of way, yeah, but right. it's a support role. It's also a, there's a synergy if yeah. you work with other teachers, you know? I gain a lot from them as much as they might gain from me. Yeah, that's interesting. So I, I have some quotes here uh, that people um, have shared with us. So I'm, I'm gonna look for, um, I'm gonna look for one, uh, kind of a personal one. Uh, this is interesting, we interviewed Matt Stricker. Um, he also, um, when when he got interviewed, he asked you to give us some information about him. So it's mm-hmm. interesting, it's reciprocal. So he, he brought up um, a moment in 2007. He said, I was going through a really difficult time in my life. Um, do you remember that? Mm-hmm. So he said, there was uh, no one in my life there for me like Phil. Mm. He said he checked on me every day to see how I was doing. He and his family had me over for dinner, sometimes multiple times per week. He made it clear I was welcome at his home anytime, day or night. They made uh, joy, and mm-hmm. um, and uh, you made him feel loved and valued at a time where he wasn't really feeling like that at all. Mm-hmm. And he says, I don't know what I would have done. So tell me about that that moment. Like, what? Um, how do you re- remember it, and what did it mean to you? Mm. Well, Matt and I clicked. Uh, he came to Sunset Lane in 2001, and um, so we had worked together for about five or six years. Oh, and then you worked at Parks together. And he came later to oh, Parks. Yeah, he okay. moved back to Colorado for a year. Okay. Uh, and then I think it was at 06, 07, he came back um, to uh, California. Yeah. And so in 07, he was going through a pretty rough mm-hmm. uh, time in his life, uh, personally. Uh, and his family's all in Colorado. Oh, wow. Uh, so. Um, we being being close for so many years, um, obviously I felt, you know, I got to be there for my brother. And yeah. so um, we, we had him over a lot. We kind of talked through a lot of the pain that he was going through at the time. Mm. Um, uh, prayed for him a lot um, and just kind of saw him through the rough patch in his life and um, saw yeah. him grow so much from that. And if you know Matt, you know that he's a man of character and integrity. Yeah. Uh, and so, honestly, I don't know if I, if I did a whole lot, really. I just walked alongside of him, and yeah. it was a lot of other forces, and um, um, it was a lot of him, his growth, and just kind of getting out of that process yeah. and that, that painful time uh, to become the man he is today. And so. so talk about, there. so here twice um, this theme of um, being alongside somebody has come up with Matt, and then also it's kind of how you said you want to, uh, work in innovation and instructional support and just be alongside teachers, not mm-hmm. over them or, um, but learning with them. So mm-hmm. what is, how do you, what does that mean to be like, um, some, sometimes people say on the journey with someone else, like how, how is that a part of your educational philosophy? Like how do you, I mean, you, you did it personally for Matt, you say 
that that's part of like how you you view your role as a mm -hmm. teacher on special assignment but say more about that why is that a good approach or why is it something that you see that you've done in your life and other people comment on the impact it has on them why why go that route I think for me um, the the attitude that I feel like I should have you know um, whether it be in a supportive role a uh, personal level uh, professionally whatever it might be is uh, one of listening because mm. um, I feel like there's so much more that people can teach me um, not that I have nothing to offer anyone else but um, I think if we're if we're there to listen and learn um, and have an attitude of empathy, mm. I think everyone wins. You know, everyone gains something from that exchange. And so, um, for me, I, I think I prefer listening over talking. Um, <laughs> and so, I think maybe that's part of why um, you know people around me feel comfortable um, either sharing or whatever it might be, because um, I feel like you know my role more than speaking uh, any kind of wisdom or. or powerful, profound thoughts is yeah. to be a listener. Yeah. So I've been in, I uh, had the privilege to be in your in your classroom before, and uh, we were filming and doing some stuff for I Personalize, and I, what I remember is just a very comfortable, relaxed environment, but it was also very, um, it felt very, I don't, I don't know if orchestrated is the right word, but it felt like there was a time and a place and an order, and everything was sort of clicking. Like it felt very, um, natural but also planned out mm -hmm. like it felt very orderly and organized so how does think of a time where your value of empathy like you've had to demonstrate that with st a student like a particular time because um, what I saw was like it did seem like there was a comfort level with you but it was clear like hey we're on an instructional train and it's going <laughs> it's going over here so sometimes empathy means you have to kind of put yourself aside and stop and listen. So reflect on a time where you had to do that with a student, because sometimes that's, we have so many, you know, students we're worried about and we're trying to get them to the instructional destination. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting, empathy sometimes threatens to derail that, you know, and take mm -hmm. time that you may feel like you don't have. Um, so do, can you think of a time where yeah, actually this past year, um, so there was a seventh grade student um, two years ago, she was in seventh grade, and she had a really rough kind of exterior, she looked tough, and she had that kind of like don't mess with me kind of attitude. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't really interact with the student much, but then she was in my class for eighth grade last year. Um, and so we'll just call her um, Jane, Jane okay. Doe, Jane. And so Jane was in my class, and um, and I had preconceived notions that she was, you know, she had major attitude, she was going to work well with others. Um, but honestly, I just kind of had to tell myself, you know what, give every single person a chance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, treat everyone as if they were your own child, and you know how you want to be treated. So I, I gave her a shot internally, um, and that year, um, my guard. Um, for all my students kind of went down more and, and her, her guard came down quite a bit. Mm. And so I saw her um, kind of share with me some, some of the hard times going on with her family mm. um, right after class during recess break mm. um, and she'd share some things with me and I was like, oh, this is, this is different. And I found myself being able to tell her, hey, Jane, you know what, um, I see this in you, I think you can get to this point here, um, you're really close to this grade level or this grade. Um, and so I found myself encouraging her more and honestly, she was the last person I thought that I would kind of have that kind of rapport with. Um, 
but by being able to listen and having a little bit more of an empathetic mm. kind of attitude, uh, you know, something clicked there. And so it was really positive and un unexpected, really, that I have that kind of rapport with that student. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so that, that touches um, <laughs> base with something else that Matt said. This was his bonus feedback. He said, so the question was, anything else you'd like to share about Phil? So he said, Phil would go out of his way to make people feel important and valued. So that, that resonates with that example of taking time to talk at recess. Um, so it's interesting, he, he goes on, he says he'll ask you about things that others would forget about. So does that ring a bell or do you know he has more, more commentary know, here? I've got a bad memory, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> so he says he'll pick up pastries and bring them to work so, to celebrate your birthday. Oh yeah. Is that, is that true? I love food, I love good food. <laughs> I'm sure you know that by now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, if, if I can help someone feel better um, by bringing in like a croissant or or maybe a, a specialty donut or something, whatever be, it might be. It's got to be a love language right there. Yeah, <laughs> food is definitely my love language. I love, to, I love to grill. I love to going out to good restaurants that yeah. are well reviewed. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, food is definitely one of my um, languages. And so... Yeah, if I can give that little gesture and it means something to that person, then um, that's cool. Then all the better. That's cool. Okay, just one last thing from from Matt, and then we'll we'll maybe let him go. He said, "You once pretended um, to be." He said he even once pretended to be me on the phone with Sprint, so that he could get me a better deal on my <laughs> cell plan. Yeah, <laughs> because you're you're a better negotiator than he was. Do you remember that? Not that exact exchange. I remember doing it for him. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's what he's saying. Yeah. He pretended to be you talking uh -huh. to Sprint, or pretend to be him. So you did that? I did. You said, yeah. let me negotiate this for you? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Back in a, <laughs> at a time where you can negotiate your plans, um, I think I forgot how much I talked him down, but it was like 30 bucks a month or something Ooh, like that. That's worth it. Yeah. That's worth it. That's awesome. All right, so, um, so other people commented about um, being quick-witted. So I'm not going to... Um, say any specific things, but uh, I think the word pun came up, mm. uh, and quick-witted. Two people said you're quick-witted, so, I, and I know it's true, because I've, I've spent time around <laughs> you, but what, um, t talk about that, like why, why, like, and puns and working with language, like why, why is that, um, why do you like doing that? I didn't always, so I think, oh, really? yeah, no, when I was, uh, when I was younger, I was pretty sarcastic, Oh. And so insults would come to me first, actually. Okay. And so I think I've heard a lot of people in my younger days with my words. Yeah. And it wasn't until like either late high school or early college when I realized the effect that my words were having on other people. So I was like, well, how can I channel my powers to something positive? <laughs> and so that's where puns kind of came in. Oh, yeah. And so if I, if I could be more encouraging or at least not discouraging, yeah. um, this is one way I can, I can use my, oh, my play on words. Yeah, I had a similar uh, experience, like kind of grade school, junior high, I found out that I was hurting people. I think it was ninth grade year where I went to a new school and mm -hmm. I was just kind of, I had been at a small private um, school like for many years and around the same people. Mm -hmm. And then in ninth grade, it was kind of a whole new set, but I was still kind of making comments that uh. were just sort of harsh. And I had this moment where I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I hurt so-and-so like and so my my turn was I just became I just shut it off like I became super huh. I was always shy but I became very very like 
quiet. That's true. Yeah, mm -hmm. because I was like, I saw that effect. I'm like, so that was a, a more proactive <laughs> approach mm -hmm. on your point is to keep using that gift, but employ it in a positive way. That's that's great. I'm not sure it's a positive effect on everybody, though. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you get people talking. <laughs> that's true. So, um, okay, we're going to go to a quote from Laura Makeley. So okay. I, I uh, asked for one word, one word that would stand in for you. And she said, out of the box, which she hyphenated and then said, she's an English teacher, so she's allowed to create words. <laughs> but I, I'm not sure what she means by that. Do you, how would you interpret that? Out of the box. Maybe it's related to being thinking outside the box. I don't. I don't know what. Pastry box. <laughs> pastry I don't box. Know. <laughs> um, I mean, I spent a year with Laura, um, working under Laura at yeah. Parks, and um, yeah, I have the greatest respect for her. She's a great instructional leader. Um, so, I mean, we got to work together on some of our school-based activities, and so I don't know. I guess. If there's a problem, and maybe this is the oldest child in me, but I kind of want to find a solution. I mm. guess you can call it being a fixer. Yeah, yeah. And so that's where sometimes I got to listen more than I, I speak sometimes. But I kind of like to just jump in and be like, if I see something wrong, I'd like to find some kind of solution for it. Yeah. So if there's a better way to do something, if it's more efficient, then maybe it's like a Google Sheet, or maybe it's some mm. kind of um, whatever technology-based strategy we can use to make something more efficient. Um, I'm all for it, and so um, maybe that's what she's speaking to in terms of being out of the box. But being a problem solver, I guess that's kind of where I lie towards. And sometimes it, is, it may not always be the same path other people take. Yeah. So. So she gave a couple examples, actually in number two, like a moment where Phil was being Phil. Um, she said there's so many moments, um, but they all fall under the same theme. Phil will do anything for anyone, for the good of our students. So she, then she names like troubleshooting a tech issue during iReady testing mm. as one, coming up with a great course title to breathe new life into a class. Um, and she just says you put in the time before, during, and after school to make uh, great things happen for kids. Um, how do you, like if you have that in your nature to see a problem and then fix it, mm -hmm. and she's calling you out for working before, during, and after school, mm. like how do you balance um, like kind of self-care with that natural inclination to hop in and, and to work on fixing things or solving things. Yeah, uh, it's, it's hard. I mean, meaning not that it's difficult to do, you know, work before and after school, but it's hard to find that balance. Yeah. I mean, I think if anyone says I've got the perfect balance, then they're lying. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think you go through seasons where, you know, if you're, let's say you have young kids and, you know, you're caring more for your family, uh, and I have young kids, but um, but I think honestly, it's the people you work with. And if you love where you work, mm. then it makes it so much better to be invested. And, and I loved, and I still love Parks Junior High School. Yeah, um, there are great people there, great staff members there. The kids are wonderful, and so it makes it easy to want to help make that school better. Yeah, that's so. awesome. And it's interesting. We we interviewed Mark Sunny from Parks mm -hmm. and Matt. Um, I don't know. If Hopefully I don't miss anybody, but at least three teachers from Parks, and they all comment on the love of the school culture, and um, so that's definitely a theme that comes out. Um, okay, so we're going to touch on a quote from your wife, Joy. Okay. Um, so she says, um, she talks about, 
being a meticulous planner. So she says, whether it's being involved in the wedding planning process 16 years ago, which is <laughs> Too involved. a surprising uh -huh. <laughs> detail to remember, yep. or planning all of our family vacations, Phil is the most meticulous planner I know. He loves spreadsheets. <laughs> From vacation planning to meal plans to board game stats, board game stats. You can ask him about his use of spreadsheets oh, yeah. when we used to play Mexican train dominoes. Uh -huh. He loves spreadsheets. And she put in an emoji, <laughs> the cr crying emoji. So talk about planning. Like, why is that something that you are drawn to towards? I, was, I wasn't like that growing up. Uh, I think it clicked <laughs> once I moved out of my parents' home. Okay. And I had to learn responsibility. I was like, what? I've got to be responsible Okay, now. there were no spreadsheets back then, were there? No, <laughs> no. It wasn't until actually Parks, I think. Really? Until I really delved into spreadsheets. Um, but just being more, uh, learning how to gain personal responsibility, yeah. um, that was where that kind of clicked when I started uh, living on my own. Yeah. And then when I got my first job, too. Uh, so, yeah, planning vacations. Um, I like to make sure that we have all of our ducks in there. I never want to run out of anything. I think for me, having a fear of lack, lacking, oh. is, is, uh, is what drives me to make sure that we're all pretty well planned. Yeah. So for doing a food budget, I want to make sure I've got way more than enough food. Mm. And I'll budget you know, X number of dollars, and I'll have every ingredient we need to plan and pack, and, um, and budget it all out, yeah, in a spreadsheet. Yeah. So that idea of being prepared and having mm -hmm. enough, um, so part of that maybe taking care of other people, not just yourself, um, mm -hmm. personal responsibility, but also sort of collective responsibility maybe. Um, okay, we have, we have time for a couple other um, things. So we already know Laura Makeley's uh, word for you is out of the box. Um, so I'm gonna say a word, and okay. then you're gonna guess if it was Matt's word for you or uh, Joy's word for you, mm. your wife, so. Okay. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. So the word is all in. Uh, I'm gonna say stricker. <laughs> that was your wife. Oh, your, your wife said all right. in. So what does that mean, like all in? She put a slash, but I'm not gonna say that word until later mm. if you need help. Your wife says you're all in. I'll have to ask her tonight. <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's when I'm into one thing, I'll kind of put all of my energy towards it. So whether it's um, planning a vacation um, or if it's doing chores, I'll, I'll be focused on that. And, wow. And that I'll, is impressive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's another thing about me is that I'm, I, I like to be clean. I don't like having clutter. Okay, uh, you, you brought it up, so I'm just going to dro <laughs> drop this quote. Okay. Uh, Matt says, you can also eat dinner off of his garage floor. <laughs> <laughs> this is a man who is serious about cleanliness. <laughs> so that, yeah. is, that is true. I think I've got a disease oh. uh, in terms of how clean I want things to be. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, my garage, I used to mop my garage floors because I hated, like, the, uh, oh. the water stains yeah. and everything. Wow. So all my... Car wash supplies are in one corner, my tools here yeah. and this, on this shelf. And so I liked having my, my garage space and my home yeah. um, in, in complete order. That's awesome. So, yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure. So talk about how does that translate into instruction? Like, mm -hmm. I know that's a, a, this jump from the garage yeah, no. being clean to the instruction, but that mindset of orderliness, mm -hmm. like, how, what is, what's the tie-in to instruction? So being organized, just the word organization is something I preach to the kids every year, mm -hmm. um, and that's the big the big focus for them when in, when they're in my classroom is being organized. So that could be being organized with your resources in terms of 
Is your binder organized? Or even is your writing organized? Do you have, mm. uh, do you need a graphic organizer or some kind of thinking map to help you guide your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, but I feel like being organized is half the battle. And if you know what you have in front of you, then you have a better idea of where you're going to go. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, okay, so this is the other word that we were going to um, share, but obviously there's only one person left. So Matt Stricker said, well, actually, he, he didn't give us one word. He gave us two. He said one word to describe Phil, faithful, and then he said selfless. And he said, sorry, I know, I know that's two. <laughs> um, so just as we're wrapping up, can you, I think normally in um, our interviews, I draw more connections to innovation um, and trying things that are new. And I haven't really done that. And it's ironic because you <laughs> work in innovation and instructional mm -hmm. support. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that burden on you. So, so you have themes of organization, being quick-witted, um, being giving and selfless, and uh, focusing on other people, listening and empathy. How do you tie those into this role of helping teachers go further down the road of of innovating and trying something new and getting away from tradition and getting past fears. What do you think? Yeah, um, well, I'll speak to my past a little bit. I wasn't always a risk taker, honestly. Um, mm. It wasn't the past couple of years. And I think when Dr. Pletka came on board in Fullerton, I think when he, when he joined this district, I think uh, his vision for innovation and for, at the time, personalized learning was huge. And it kind of blew my mind. Mm. It shocked me. It kind of um, rocked my world in, in many ways and not all good, but <laughs> ultimately in a really positive way because I got involved with a lot of things um, uh, personalized learning-wise yeah. um, with this district. And I'm really grateful to him for his impact on me uh, for that reason because uh, me not being a big risk taker back then uh, this this mindset of innovation and this growth kind of uh, paradigm mm -hmm. really helped me to realize, you know, I do have a lot to learn, like I said in the beginning. Mm. Um, and rather than helping teachers, it'd be more like just kind of walking alongside and, and diving into something new together. Oh, so cool. if we have that kind of mindset as, as a group, as yeah. a team, as a community, that it's not one person's burden to innovate themselves, um, it's not my burden alone. It's not every teacher in this district's burden alone. If we share in that burden together and we walk alongside uh, while listening, I think we can learn a lot from each other. Yeah, and you just triggered another connection for me is that organization, I think that helps people trust because if they see somebody who's leading the way and there's clear organization, that clarity allows them to identify questions they may have that are specific and not, you know, quote unquote stupid questions, but with clear organization you go, okay, what's the connection between, you know, column two and column three? And it, it helps the conversation move forward instead of people kind of backing away in fear. Mm -hmm. I think that organization is, um, helps build the trust factor. Mm -hmm. So that's good. I'm gonna work on my organization. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Phil, that is the time. We're at 30 minutes and um, it's been great. So. Thank you very much. Already? Yeah. Oh it flew by. It flew by. All right. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Wes. Appreciate it. This has been the Teacher Interview Podcast. Thank you for joining us.